Peace. Welcome to the Committee on Equity and Inclusion. Today is Thursday, December 7, 2022. The time is currently 4.25 p.m. I'm Chairman Ja'Cory Arthur. We also have Vice Chair Anthony Piagentini, and we'll be joined by our other committee members momentarily. Committee members Cassie Chambers Armstrong and Marcus Winkler have excused absences, and this meeting is being held pursuant to KRS 61.826 and Council Rule 5A. Today we'll have two special discussions continuing our equity oversight. We'll start with the Office of Management and Budget and then end with the Office of Resilience and Community Services. Vice Chair. If I could have a quick point of personal privilege, Mr. Chair. I just wanted to uh, congratulate the University of Louisville women's volleyball team who just won in the Sweet 16 and will play this Saturday in the Elite Eight here at Yum Center. Go check it out, support our cards. Go cards. Go cards. We're also joined by committee member Kevin Kramer. All right, Chief, please welcome our guests. Don't forget your name, title, department for the record, and we'll get into it. Good afternoon. My name is Michael Meeks, Chief Equity Officer for Louisville Metro. Uh, we're here today with yet another cohort of um, Metro government departments to discuss um, progress toward equity goals. Uh, with me today representing the Office for Management and Budget, Angela Dunn, Joel Novell, and Katina R Riviera, and also um, with Resilience and Community Service, Tamika Laird. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Angela Dunn, Director of the uh, Revenue Commission, and I am presenting the Office of Management and Budget Equity Update this afternoon. So the vision statement for the Office of, Ma of Management and Budget is that, the, is that OMB remains committed to equity by providing excellent customer service through trust, respect, and responsiveness, the utilization of equity tools and processes while monitoring our focus on fiscal responsibility, integrity, and transparency. I want to make sure my slides work in here. Hang on a second. For members of the committee and the public, there we go. these I got slides it are attached to the agenda so you can follow along at home or on your computer. So the Office of Management and Budget has eight equity goals. I'll just kind of quickly uh, read through these with a little bit of an overview. Goal one is to evaluate implicit bias in OMB hiring practices, train OMB personnel to mitigate any identified implicit bias for future hiring practices, continue efforts with structural racism cohorts to improve uh, internal staff's understanding of structural racism, continue review of purchasing policy to identify equity barriers in conjunction with a multi-department strategic procurement committee. In conjunction with the required annual review of our policies, we will also review those policies through an equity lens. Maintain a record of referral efforts of all self-identified minority women, disabled, or LGBTQ-owned businesses that register to bid uh, for Louisville Metro government contracts to the Human Relations Commission for potential certification. Reduce barriers for taxpayers to conduct business with the Revenue Commission and enhance the customer experience through electronic access and quality communication. 
So we have uh, made progress in, in each of these goals and provide a quick overview of that progress on each. So for goal one, uh, our hiring practice involves a diverse interview panel to minimize bias. In addition to the hiring manager, the personnel division uh, can also review the list of referred candidates and can make recommendations if needed to ensure we have a more diverse group of interviewees. For goal two, the personnel division is creating and implementing a required training for our managers and supervisors on implicit bias. This is in addition to the training that is required by Metro HR. For goal three, OMB will continue with the current structural racism cohorts uh, to improve internal agency staff's understanding. We encourage, we will continue to in, encourage additional staff to join the co cohorts and we have a current co cohort that is scheduled to conclude by the end of this year. For goal four, during the annual update of the procurement policy and manual, OMB reviewed necessary updates and their potential equity impacts prior to publication of that document. For goal five, uh, there has been a pause on goal five. And this is the review of policies and procedures. That process in general was put on hold due to, to the implementation of Workday. It was a resource issue. It's anticipated that the policy review will be, uh, will start back up once Workday has stabilized and is implemented. For goal six, OMB maintains records of referral efforts. Year to date, there have been 635 new self-declared MWDIBE and LGBT business registrations created and referred to the Human Relations Commission for potential certification. For goal seven, the Revenue Commission has drafted a language access plan. The draft outlines specific steps that will allow the agency to survey uh, existing language skills and resources with current staff obtain external language services to translate vital documents, train our staff, et cetera, and it's anticipated that that plan will be finalized by the end of this year. And for goal eight, the Revenue Commission has obtained cost quotes for updating our existing phone system and our tax administration system that would implement modern enhancements to improve the customer experience. Funding, of course, would be necessary to move forward, but the language access plan will provide a guide uh, for translating written communication and forms. Finally, just as a, a general ending comment, both the OMB and the Revenue Commission continue to make progress on all of the established goals and to collaborate with the Office of Equity. While goal five has been temporarily paused due to the priority of Workday, active review of existing policies will commence once that has stabilized. OMB provides regular contributions to the Task Force on Equity in Procurement and Contracting. Other collaborations include Tier 2 Supplier Subcommittee membership, small and minority-owned supplier engagement, including participation in the Joint Utility Conference, Kentucky Public Procurement Association, Reverse Trade School, Task Force Matchmaker event, and member of the KPPA Membership and Diversity Committee. In addition, the Revenue Commission has collaborated with the Office of Globalization to obtain guidance on development of the language access plan, as well as provide multicultural competency training to all Revenue Commission employees at our annual employee training retreat. Thank you. Thank you. I'm curious about goal three with the structural racism cohorts. 
what exactly are you learning and who are you working with to, to get that education about structural racism? I'll generally speak to it and then Katina Rivera will join to maybe add a little more detail. I participated in the cohort. It was, um, it was a plan, uh, it was a very structured sort of curriculum that we followed. It took, it took place over, um, it was close to a year because it was spread out and there were assignments throughout where you had to read publications that talked about um, uh, structural racism. So it was, a, it was like a learning curriculum and uh, the cohort existed as, as this sort of, it was a mix of management and staff from all different backgrounds within the Office of Management and Budget and the Revenue Commission um, to discuss those topics that were presented in the curriculum. Um, and it was meant to, to educate and um, kind of open those barriers uh, at multi-levels throughout the organization to kind of discuss different perspectives uh, on what that curriculum presented to us. Katina can probably give you a more formal um, For well, the record, I, we're joined by committee member Nicole George, and don't forget your name and department. Thank you. Uh, I am Katina Rivera, and I am uh, with the Office of Management and Budget, Executive Administrator. I oversee the Personnel Division. Um, I did not have personal experience with the racial cohorts like Angie did, uh, but my personnel manager, Crystal um, Bo Knight, I can't pronounce her last name, uh, does oversee them. And Angie was in the original uh, cohort, which was in 2020. We are on our second cohort right now. They are managed by, uh, they were originally managed by the Center for Health Equity. And the objectives of the cohort, um, there's the four. Uh, number one is to gain introductory knowledge of foundation, gain an introductory knowledge of foundational racial equity and root cause theory. Number two is to improve communication skill and ease on root cause and racial equity through formal and informal mediums. Number three is to increase the ability to work collaboratively across OMB and LMG and strengthen the ability to translate research into action. So basically it is just to be able to speak more openly and um, to gain a better understanding, um, to be able to speak without, you know, to be more comfortable to speak on these th issues. I'm almost glad you haven't started the policy review yet because you're doing this cohort work and getting an understanding, like a foundational understanding before you dive into how can we do better and take, take more action. A question about number four, and we might have a follow-up from the vice chair. Last year in this committee, we learned from the procurement task force that MSD spends over half of their diverse, diversity spending on black businesses. LG&E spent a little over a quarter. The water company spends about a fifth. Louisville Metro government spends less than a tenth of our diversity spending on black-owned businesses. I asked about internal metro policies that prevented us from improving this, and the answer was kind of shaky. So from your perspective, what could we be doing better to change this? Good afternoon. My name is Joel Novell. I'm procurement director for the city of Louisville, Kentucky. And I wasn't privy to the, the discussion uh, previously, but yes, that is uh, true that, that Louisville Metro doesn't um, meet, it, meet its goals. Um, 
And I would say that we're, the task force in particular is kind of headed in the right direction for what we need to do. And part of that is, part of that is um, exploring a disparity study that will actually uh, take, take steps to make intentional um, uh, contracting spend and actually identify where uh, disparities have been identified and that those could be uh, strictly targeted to uh, provide opportunities for minority-owned businesses. Thank you. I'll pass it to the vice chair for a follow-up and then I'll come back. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, yeah, along that line, we passed recently um, a resolution looking at uh, second chance employers, mm -hmm. right? And it was really an amendment to an existing ordinance that had laid out goals uh, for uh, reaching certain spend with certain business, small business demographics, right? I think women-owned business, minority-owned business, there was a couple in there. Um, I didn't vote against it. I voted for the resolution, but I, I pointed, or I think it was an ordinance, I voted for the ordinance. But I pointed out I was hesitant to vote for it, not because I didn't laud the goal, but it was all about, um, as, I, as I like to colloquially say it, I legislate in Realville, and we're not hitting the current goals, so just adding another goal is kind of a waste of time. So uh, what I'm curious about is what I don't see here, and this is what where I don't know why we're seeing it. What I see here is goal number four, continue review of the policy to identify equity barriers in conjunction with the multi-department strategic procurement committee. Well, we already have goals set out, but an equity goal isn't even to achieve those goals or to create a tactical plan to achieve those goals, which to me would make the most sense, right? Just lay out a tactical plan to achieve the goals. So is that goal and that ordinance is that under the purview of the procurement department within OMB, or is it under multiple departments' yeah. sort of jurisdiction or purview? Uh, if, I, if I could lay out in two different two different buckets here, the, please. The the procurement policy manual is a a guide, of course, that that provides uh, our procurement procedures are we follow state law and then. We follow local ordinance, and then we put, put the policies in place, and we put that together. So any change, the reference to the goal is any change that comes annually from year to year, we take a look at, and we say, okay, is this, what, are we adding burden to anybody in, in, in trying to do business with, with the city, number one, and then are we uh, unfairly or unjustly providing, or do, is this change also, uh, impacting uh, unfairly any particular uh, demographic or, or small businesses. So it's a it's a annual procedural tactical approach to the day to day. Now what you're talking about is a bigger bigger goals setting, and which is the metro goal related to per, percentage of procurement expenditure. So part of that is. It's a, it's an, a uh, we set the policy and we're, we're responsible for uh, Metro implementing those policies, but it takes all of Metro to help achieve that, that goal. And that gets down to uh, department leadership, the day-to-day -day operations, and the, the Office of Equity uh, ringing the bell saying, Make, you know, we have these goals and this is a tactical thing that we need to continue to achieve. 
So I think there's a lot of room for improvement there operationally across the enterprise. And I think um, that is an enterprise goal for which I think we, we certainly have room to improve. So let me get more tactically specific. First of all, I would say that you could either add or change to this goal, right? It's one thing to uh, uh, review the purchasing policy, which is what the goal is. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to create a tactical plan or execution plan to achieve the goal. I would like to see a tactical execution plan to achieve the goal. Um, I would also like to see when we come to the budget review, right, this is really, the purpose of this is to preliminarily get in front of you all, right, we're in mid-year in the budget, so that come, come May time when we're back talking about the actual OMB budget and this topic comes up, we don't wanna be, we don't wanna be surprised, we don't want you surprised in our line of questioning. I'm gonna to wanna to see what those percentages have been, are, and what the tactical plan is to achieve them, right? I'll give you an example. When I worked in a, let's just broadly call it a highly regulated um, industry that included a lot of government contracting, we were required uh, to hit certain goals, subcontracting to, at the time we for, referred to them as Meeby Weeby, but that the whole acronym of minority, women-owned, veteran-owned, disabled-owned, there were all these classifications, and we had requirements to hit them. Mm -hmm. I worked in the procurement department mm -hmm. of this multinational company. To your point, procurement decisions, we had a policy, but individual departments made final procurement decisions. But we created a structure and had oversight so that if we saw that, for example, there wasn't enough recruiting of businesses that fell into these categories into the initial RFPs or request for proposal, we went back to the department head and said, why not, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if there was a structural barrier, if, just, if there was no uh, businesses that fit those criteria in that particular spend category, okay, we documented it, right? We made sure we understood what was going on and that and that we, because the government, the federal government in that case could have canceled billions of dollars of contracts if we didn't, so we had to justify it, right? So we went so far as to document that, okay, in this particular case, and, and we had the data to support it, we didn't have, so okay, as a city, let's look at what that means, right? Do we need to uh, go to GLI, go to other business organizations, say, hey, we, we, we have a gap here, right? Why do we have a gap? Is there something we can partner with? Um, and then relate the second, so one is business recruitment, right, to actually bid or to attempt to contract. And then the second layer is actual contracting, right? Again, another um, sort of check on the process where when you see, for example, a and I'm making numbers up here, but a department is getting 25% of the businesses or representing their spend of the business is applying that is maybe a minority contractor. Uh, but only 5% of their spend at the end of the day is contracted with that same category. Now you gotta, again, question, what is happening here? You have 20% coming in, but only 5% making it out, right? And again, there should be somebody in procurement, if, this, if procurement is executing oversight of this, there should be somebody that's not just creating the policy, but then following up, starting big to small on who spends the most money around here, right? On, you know, so prioritizing largest spend to smallest. Are you living up to these policies, right? And, and if not, why not? And how can we partner, right? You know, hopefully you're not coming down like a hammer, but instead you're coming in as a partner to get them and get the organization, in this case, Louisville Metro, to the goal.
Right. So I would like to see that going into the budget cycle. Again, number one, the numbers, historically where we are, currently where we are, what's the trend look like? And then secondly, you know, a, t a more tactical plan on where we've changed these rules and we have this oversight and this is how we're gonna execute with a goal of moving, you know, from 7% to 10% or, or however we're trying to, and what's a realistic movement within a certain period of time. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, and the last goal I'd like to ask a couple questions about is six, with referrals to minority businesses. Maybe, Chief, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think not too long ago we were celebrating because we had the highest amount of, of something. Could you clarify that for me real quick, and then I have a couple follow-ups? Yes, um, so earlier we had uh, 354 or so um, uh, minority MFDBEs in the database. We have since um, gone through and revised that. We've um, checked for duplicates and uh, uh, MFDBEs that were not really qualified. So that number is, is down at this point. Uh, the number that, that's showing right now, or I, I believe, or self... Um, yeah, self-declared. Yeah, they're yeah. self-declared. It's Yes, it's different from what we have. So I'm curious, um, and maybe the question back for you all or whoever can jump in, what do you think is helping with the numbers in terms of increasing them? What do you think is most successful? How do we get there? How do we get to where we are? What's working really well? Well, I can speak to the OMB information here, and this is related to our very broad platform for which um, companies can come and register and show interest in providing um, services, goods or services to the, to the city. And we uh, initially pro provided a registration uh, platform that, that could allow them to self-declare. Self and so I think it's just because not only, uh, but that's not necessarily local, it's actually national. And so anybody can come in there and then declare themselves I am a um, minority uh, business, but it's not the same as what we use in terms of a certification by the Human Relations Commission, okay? So what we do is we then uh, take on a monthly basis the list of any new self-declares nationally or otherwise, and we send that over to the HRC as potential leads for certification. And I don't know what the turn rate or success rate and conversion of those leads to actual certifications are, but it, it's probably, you know, I, well, I, I won't even say, but at least we're getting some in the pipeline and say, hey, here's some interested. You might want to try to get them converted. And they've done a wonderful job over the HRC over the time. When I first um, started seven years ago, there was about 100 sort of, uh, certified entities. And to hear that there are over 300 now is, is great, great progress. And last thing is, it's a comment and, and maybe a suggestion, and I emailed the, the chief about this. I ran into a black small business owner who was concerned about uh, pay turnaround. And I know mm -hmm. we're talking about uh, capacity issues. I know we talked about adding new staff people to turn things around. Uh, but a policy that he suggested to me was for small business owners, or maybe even more specifically for some of these minority vendors and contractors, looking at a net 15 versus a net 30, so paying them quicker. Because for a small business owner, 
you know, if we're talking 30 days, that could actually turn into more than 30 days and it could be detrimental to their businesses. So that was something that got brought up. I'm not sure if you're going to review that when you go and review your policies, but it's something that I'm hoping you look at because it could be really detrimental to our small businesses. Vice Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, first of all, I think that's that's really a good idea. Again, we've got to establish criteria related to, you know, particularly small businesses, those that, that can't survive uh, without a certain amount of cash flow. But um, could, and I know this is uh, related, but I just want to be clear both to the public, to the chairman, to the rest of the committee, could OMB comment on what the current status of our payment terms are just related to the check cutting issues we've run into related to the work workday transition. Like essentially, what is our current payment terms? How behind are we, regardless of who the vendor is? Thank you. Come on up. You're, you're getting the whole, excuse me, is that on? By speak, okay. Uh, Monica Harmon, Office of Management and Budget. Um, as we have previously stated, we are behind. We approximately have, over 7,000 late invoices. Uh, we are trying to pay those in the order in which they were received. We do prioritize certain payments that are critical. Uh, an example would be Castanet payments for uh, RCS. Those are, those are processed in a different way and those get paid out because of the services that they provide. Um, but we are trying to work through those. There is the standard payment terms are net 30. That's what we stand unless there is a restatement in the contract or the invoice, the vendor requests an earlier payment. So they can initiate and request different payment terms, but if they do not provide that, we go to standard net 30. What is our current average payment terms? Excuse me, let me rephrase. What is our current average payment time from invoice date to check cut? Historically, it has been anywhere from 35 to 65 days. Later. So, so, okay, and you use the word historically. Yes. So that's not what's happening currently. So that's first correct. of all, I do want to clarify that that means that even under good circumstances, we weren't paying averaging net 30. We were averaging more than that. Right. What are we currently averaging? I, I, I don't have that number. I can, I can guarantee you that we are not current. Over net 60. Oh, I would say that obviously we have invoices that have come in since... Uh, that are less than 30 days, but we have invoices that are beyond 30 days and probably some of that are exceeding 60 days. We are trying to move those as quickly as possible. I'm not disputing the fact that yeah. the administration is working to try to rectify the situation. I just wanted to be clear with the, the, the committee and the public that even under the best of circumstances, we weren't paying net 30 in net 30. We were paying it more than that. And currently, we are in, I would call it a crisis mode, and at least the numbers that I've seen would indicate at a minimum we're averaging past 60 days. It could even be past 90, given the burn rate that we're trying to get through. On average, I don't think we're past 90, but we, we do have invoices that are, are aged beyond the 60 days. What I would emphasize to say is that we're required to pay a validated invoice and, and sometimes vendors will submit an invoice that is not valid. They don't provide the proper information necessary to pay them. Even then, we will receive an invoice. When we get that in the system, we still count it from the date of the invoice. So if we 
received an invoice 60 days ago and they, it wasn't valid and it took the vendor 30 days to get it back to us, we're still counting that 60 days late even though they didn't submit us a valid invoice until 30 days ago. And I just I, want to make that clear. I, I understand, but that's, first of all, I think hopefully Workday and any ERP system I've dealt with generally can calculate that, um, at least differentiate between, you know, received, uh, whole pending provider or pending vendor follow-up and that type of thing so you could tease out that and get a more accurate accounting of our actual turnaround time that's one uh, number two I don't think you're arguing that that is anywhere near what is impacting the problem currently like that is a probably a small rounding error at this point I, I there's multiple reasons and what's contributing to this I, we've talked about it Yes, there's a way to measure it. No, I do not have that information to tell you how old those invoices are. I just college. want to be clear here. Because yes, there are multiple things. Let's say there's five things impacting it. When one of them is 80% of the problem and the other four are 20%, then the four aren't the issue. It's the one. Mm -hmm. And the one issue that is screwing this up right now that is b before work, let's put it this way. What was our inventory of unpaid invoices before we started implementing Workday? on any given random, what was the average historic inventory of unpaid invoices? We usually had approximately two to 3,000 invoices. So we're over, we're, we're somewhere between two to three times that currently. And the pivot point of that happening was the implementation of Workday, correct? It, what, that's what contributed, yes, because yes. we had to stop the injection of in invoices for a period of time to convert them to the new system that was a delay of three to four weeks. So then you automatically have that many invoices behind, and then you have all the invoices coming in, plus. That was an implementation. I would tell you that was an implementation choice. I've been part of ERP system transitions, and although there is typically some blackout period, I've seen them as, as, as short as a weekend. Uh, so the reason why, and I'm not saying it was OMB or you, I know we have consultants working on this. They might have given this direction as to why they needed to do it that way. But again, I would say that is not common. Uh, even amongst, again, I'm talking about companies and ERP transitions on international multi-billion dollar companies. They were able to, and I'm talking multi-billion dollar annual revenue and spend, were able to shut down for a matter of days, two, three. And again, mostly over weekends or very low periods of time, maybe between Christmas and New Year's, and be able to uh, come very close to maintaining their payment terms by a matter of days and not have a situation where they had a two to three times increase in their backlog. So again, I, uh, I was bringing this up so that people didn't think uh, by saying that we should pursue other ways to improve cash flow for these small businesses, that we are current, that even under the best of circumstances, we were able to do that easily. Um, that is not the case. Uh, hopefully, once we do get through all of this implementation, we Workday is an excellent system. It's not the system; it's our implementation of it that's been the problem. Um, I know many, many, many half the companies, half the major Fortune 500 companies that work in this city operate on Workday and do so and, and pay their invoices. Uh, uh, on time, and I'm talking about I contracted with one of them, and they paid me on the precise exact date every single time that was the net payment terms of the contract I had with them. So uh, this is, 
an operating issue that we have to get through. I'm not going to continue beating up on it, but I, did, I didn't want to confuse the public by saying there's lots of issues. There's a issue that is the issue that we have to get through. And then, right, in normal circumstances, we do need vendors to comply with the rules, and, and that can be one of the contributing factors. And I would Thank you, Chair. Thank you all for being here. We're going to bring up our last agency, my favorite agency, RCS, Officer Resilience and Community Services. Because of time, uh, let's give a quick overview of where you are in your goals, and then we're going to hammer you with questions. And I just want to say I am sorry. I was really not looking at the time. I apologize. Although I blame uh, Chairman Arthur and his, uh, uh, his work on the Parks Committee for screwing us up. So, <laughs> And I would just like to say I love all departments equally. So. I do equity. So, like, I love y'all. <laughs> all right. So, name, uh, department, and again, just where you are in your goals, and then we'll, we'll go through some questions. All right. Um, my name is Tamika Laird, and I'm the director for the Office of Resilience and Community Services. I'll jump through the overall acknowledgement of the council since we're saving time. Um, okay, I was going to say this is not my presentation. <laughs> All right, I have um, started. I'll try to make this as quick as possible so I can open up for questions. Um, equity being equitable has resounding effects on everything we do and how the Office of Resilience and Community Services executes our service delivery. It is entrenched in the department's work, partnership and collaboration. RCS is not, is not only a municipality, but a community action agency. One of 23 in the state of Kentucky. Our goal is to advocate and empower underserved households. The agency's mission is it exemplifies the OFD movement of resiliency and economic independency. Mid-fiscal year last year, RCS implanted and implemented equity and equitable decisions making in the strategic planning environment process. The top four targeted areas were workforce, residents, homelessness, and data. Um, this is just a slide to show you actually how we're implementing data within the work that we do um, and actually creating dashboards to track. We're using the PMP model in order to track all of our KPIs. Um, I'm gonna skip that slide and go second to our equity goal. So the first equity goal is advancing the RCS workforce through equity, inclusion, and diversity to better serve our community. In the past three years, the Office of Resilience and Community Services, along with the nation, had experienced an unprecedented turnover of workforce. GLI states that the, the reason is due to low pay and 8% decrease in child facilities, child care facilities, even though Kentucky unemployment rate is at 3.9%. This, um, these are compelling factors that have affected our agency differently, each agency differently. But the common denominator is the capacity to execute the department's service delivery. RCS has steadily worked on equitable strategies to fill vacancies, to ensure equitable distribution of workforce and employee structure. 
The emphasis has been on inclusion through professional development, meaning DEI trainings, consumer satisfaction, and culture-based education. Our goal is to continue to prove our workforce equity through the employee experience, cultural diversity, and department practices. Again, another dashboard that we're tracking around workforce and some overall different demographics, and then also professional de uh, development. Goal two, increase resilience by strengthening resources, skills, and opportunities for residents. As a community-based agency, fostering stabilization, building self-sufficiency that would lead consumers on the road to sustainability. These past three years, the agency has, been, uh, has seen the hardships of COVID and the effects on households, especially the underserved. The agency has worked on building programs that would produce equitable solutions and collective community impact to improve the financial wealth of the consumer. Two of the highlights amongst many was in fiscal year 22 and 23. The Office of Resilience and Community Services utilized the uh, Jefferson County eviction data to create an internal qualitative dashboard to track the areas of need and stabilization reconciling with the ERAP funding. Also assessing and evaluating food deserts to create a service plan to serve the areas through our senior nutrition program. In addition to RCS, um, was excited, still excited, about the new partnership with the Louisville Urban League to launch the Louisville Financial Empowerment, focus on financial counseling, and to build financial wealth to close the wealth gap. Again, another dashboard to show exactly what we're tracking, um, the overall demographics, and this is helping us to do a deep dive. Um, Jefferson County eviction data, another dashboard to show you exactly where we see the overall need and where we're trying to strategize around providing the overall assistance. Uh -oh. Goal three, to create a comprehensive, oh, homelessness. Okay, here we go. Homelessness. Mitigate the impact of um, houselessness by um, implementing new solutions and alternatives. We know that everyone deserves safe, affordable housing. We know the city, the state, and the nation is trying to combat the crisis of, of homelessness. It is one of complexity, but is achievable if the federal and state and local, federal, state, and local, and the community work together to eradicate. Then this past year, the city took a major step forward toward this effort by allocating $100 million towards this effort. Thank you, Council, and thank you, the Mayor. Um, the Department has been working on a collaborative equity approach with our partners, participating and initiating dialogue that will reduce barriers and create fair practices for homeless populations. As a result, this has led to the development of a harm reduction strategies with our clearing process, and the increased connection with our outreach, um, increased connection with outreach services. Go Equity Four to create a comprehensive data work to support and inform agency goals and objectives, utilizing data to build a data governance. We know that uh, having effective and efficient data can change the landscape of an organization. It can assist with making timely decisions, creating policies and programs or improving policies and programs and service allocations, pursuing under building consumer and community trust and transparency. 
Presently, RCS has been working toward constructing the department data framework. Through this uh, process, leadership has learned to focus more on transformational approaches that will empower positive change in consumers and the social ecosystem. The operations of the agency in the past three years have been reactive change, and now we're transitioning into the new norm. The agency can direct and focus on proactive change in decision-making and data equity framework. Thank you. And then also we have other dashboards that shows the overall progress. And so I will leave it at that because all the additional slides are additional. Uh, committee members and the public can access these on the agenda. Also, some accomplishments that we have uh, that RCS has done. I have two questions. One is around equity goal number one, and I see that the LAHI program has the biggest amount of staff vacancies. Uh, something that a, a lot of our shelter spaces do is they use former clients who are kind of like success, success stories and bring them back to work in that space. I'm curious if, if you all practice this at all when you're trying to fill vacancies. We are, we're actually working on several areas. We're sitting down with HR to work on internships, recruitment, looking at how we can actually work with second chancers. We're trying to think of every avenue in order to be able to do that. And my last question before I jump to the queue, uh, goal number four around data, absolutely it can change the framework of an organization. I'm curious if the software that you use to manage clients is being used across Metro elsewhere. I don't forget, you know, um, which budget address it was, but I'll never forget the mayor mentioned pulling X amount of thousands of people out of poverty. But when I asked someone in the mayor's administration, how did you do that? It was a little murky. So I'm, I'm sure that if we had data, if we had a management system that we were looking at department to department, how are you um, referring someone to ocean services? How are they referring someone to your services? How are people moving through Metro government? How many touch points? How many services do they receive? What programs are benefiting them and pulling them out of poverty so that we could potentially scale those up? I think that would make things a lot more efficient and effective. Uh, but I'm curious, just for the record, what software are you using? And to your knowledge, are any other agencies using that software? Um, we are using Castanet, and no, no other agency is using that. It uh, falls under the Community Action Agency, so it's licensed through CAC. And being a Community Action Agency, we are able to utilize it, but we also pay for it. And does that integrate with, uh, I guess, UJOIN and some of the other software, um, uh, HMIS, like some of the other things that are being used with other agencies, so you all are using different systems to manage clients? That is correct. Um, and when you think about coordinated care, and that's one of the things, Councilman Arthur, that we really needed to hone in on is having an actual overall comprehensive data framework where we're all working in one system. Um, HMIS does that from the homeless perspective, um, but it does not do that for low-income families and from that perspective. So we're tracking it right. in different actual systems and applications. That'd be a game changer. If a constituent calls my office and I can see a record, oh, you've accessed this program with RCS or you've called this office and done this, that, and the other, I mean, that would be a whole different world in terms of moving people through government. Uh, Vice Chair Piagentini. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, and really just a request, uh, we have uh, Budget Committee in a second. Dr. Pacino, who's here, is, is going to be speaking, and I sent her some questions and, and you know about homelessness strategy. It's because it's part of your goals here. You know, I think one of the things, just to bring it up as a discussion point moving forward, no, uh, I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot here, but 
we have a lot of great people, yourself included, Dr. Pacino, many other community members and others working very hard, particularly on homelessness, right? So I'm gonna focus on homelessness here for a second. Uh, albeit we have to include affordable housing and just housing in general as part of that equation, right? A big umbrella. I'm increasingly concerned we have a lot of people going like this and we're not going like this and working toward the same goal. Um, so my ask is at some point, I think it will be easier for council to have a voice, it doesn't have to be a person, but maybe a team of people, but like who are on the same page about the overall homelessness strategy, where we currently are, what the progress is. We all agree that we've made X progress, we've gone backwards. Here's the tactics that we're getting, here's the strategy, here are the tactics aligned with that strategy with updates on progress. So I, I, I just wanna make sure all, of, just like Councilman, or Chairman Arthur is talking about technology, from an operating point of view also, that we're all working together and there is, you know, what, and, and it's probably Dr. Pacino because she's Director of Homelessness Services, but so it's probably going through her ultimately just be, from a title point of view, but to make sure that, you know, all of the groups, including the not-for-profits that aren't government related, right, are, are all marching in the same direction uh, because again, I've voted and many council members have voted for mil millions of dollars of support for this effort and I'm not sure we agree that we're making progress. So it's, you know, I just wanna make sure we are tracking it in a way that's understandable and we all agree on the numbers. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I'm not sure I was making sense. Thank you. You were making sense. And um, Councilman Pegettini, I just want to, can I um, respond of course. to your statement? A uh, couple of things that we have been doing um, since the onset of my overall um, being in this position is that we are trying to ensure that we can actually collaborate uh, within our, uh, all of the organizations that focus on homelessness. And we've done great strides around that. Um, if you would refer to our link on the website, you'll see the U of L report around the homeless initiative, which actually identifies the overall work that we did with the homeless initiative model and how we have been implementing the overall uh, resources and services under that model. But also the actual overall intentional connection with the homeless providers and also trying to work in that one voice under unity. So um, the coalition, the coalition for the homeless and the continual care have, uh, we have bi-weekly meetings that we actually do outreach where we focus on how do we better be able to talk in one voice so that way we can be better representatives for this community and then also for to council and the mayor's office so in this next um, at five o'clock in which we're over um, during budget we'll have a presentation for you that i hope will actually direct us in that right in that direction but also to be able to answer a lot of questions that council has had. Committee member George. Thank you, Chair. And thank you, Director Laird. Um, Want to just briefly say that, you know, goal number one around advancing RCS uh, workforce through equity is beautifully written. Um, I'm wanting to better understand, though, what those benchmarks are. And I'm going to state maybe the elephant in the room, which is, and feel free to correct me if I'm not, if I'm not accurately stating this, the equity issue is not in who you're recruiting to your agency. Um, if I look at the data correctly, it's mostly black women doing the work. Mm -hmm. 
The equity issue is in the compensation. That's correct, because so, it's the social work field. I'm sorry, go ahead. In the social work field, yes, which I'm familiar with, and as I look at the certifications, and I'm wondering, I confess I don't know as much about the HR compensation study that I guess is pending, maybe? It's still pending. So I'm interested to know more about the specific benchmarks that are set under number one and how that relates to, quite frankly, getting to the root of the equity issues that we see, or at least that I see in this, in this current piece. Um, the other pieces I would really, and I'm assuming that's part of the HR compensation, is how does that, how does RCS's compensation compare to other agencies um, and, and how that work lines up. So I don't know that we have the time for that, but you know, I, I think fundamentally that's what I'm hearing as part of this as it relates to the equity work inside the agency of RCS. So that's a great question. Um, if you refer to my, our strategic plan narrative that's out there on our site, that was one of the things that I wrote up on in the narrative is around the actual pay scale in comparison to other cities. We are ranked at the bottom. So I hope that my <laughs> colleagues hear that and I hope that the community hears that. Um, and I hope that we as a city are able to articulate the ways in which when we underinvest in our staff, it impacts the most vulnerable people in our community who depend on those services um, that quite frankly we pay a different scale to for almost every other job. I venture to say, again, haven't seen the HR compensation piece. Anyway, I just wanna put that out there. I know we're running desperately behind and I appreciate all you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you to the Office of Equity for being a wonderful partner. Thank you to our committee members and our staff for serving on this committee. We did some work this year, data access, um, language access, voting rights. Let's keep it going next year. We're adjourned. Peace.